If you are able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. This morning, we'll be considering Isaiah chapter 46. Before I read that passage, under what is currently weighing you down. What's heavy on your mind this morning? Maybe as you're driving to church or even as you walk into the sanctuary or maybe during the service, there's something already that's been weighing on your mind or perhaps it's something deeper, something that impacts your emotions, has a sort of spiritual gravity to it. Maybe you'd say it's weighing on your heart today. Now, what if you found out that there was someone who could take that weight from you, someone who would bear that burden for you. That sounds nice, but I wonder if you would actually be willing to relinquish the burden. It may be harder than you think, because sometimes the thing that is weighing us down is something that we actually believe is holding us up. Now, those are deep waters, but that's what God's going to tell us about right here in Isaiah chapter 46. Hear now God's holy and living word. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down in worship. They lift it up to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. In Isaiah 46, we find Isaiah the prophet declaring a message to God's people, and it's a message that will not take to heart, we could say, or be understood, or begin to even be understood for another 150 years. Isaiah is preaching prophetically forward to God's people who would, in 150 years' time, find themselves in captivity in Babylon. 
at the time of, of Isaiah's preaching and writing of his public ministry, the Babylonians had not yet conquered the region. They had not yet conquered Judah and Jerusalem and taken the Jews into captivity in Babylon. But yet God, as we have seen, starting in chapter 40, speaking forward, he's speaking a word of comfort to his people. And here he is speaking to them a word of reminder, a word of reminder that they're gonna need to hear then and that we still need to hear now. God is speaking to his covenant people thousands of years ago, but the same message is for and needs to be heard by his covenant people today. This isn't only for the Jews who descended from Abraham by ordinary generation, but it's for the people of faith. Those among the nations of the world that God promised to bless through Abraham and his seed, Jesus Christ. So those who have faith in God are also offspring of Abraham, needing to hear the same message because we, like the Jews, live in a day and an age when we are surrounded by idols. Now, we don't think of them the same way. Maybe that they thought of idols then. They understood or they would understand that the idols in that day had names like Baal and Nebo. Now, these were the primary gods Baal in particular, he was the chief god of the pantheon of the Babylonian gods. Nebo was considered to be his son. And God says something about the idols in their day, thousands of years ago, that is true for idols today still. The idols that we form, the idols that we form, actually weigh us down and they cannot save. That's The first point that we find here in Isaiah 46, these idols of our own choosing and making, they actually weigh us down and they cannot save us. Here, uh, Baal, who's also referred to as Marduk, sometimes Bel Marduk even, uh, this chief of the Babylonian gods and Nebu, his son. These were gods who later the the Jews, as they were in captivity, they would see uh, the statues raised and and different idols sold to represent Baal and Nebu, his son. There would even be a time every year when when this image of, of Nebu would be brought into Babylon to celebrate the new year along with his father, Baal. These gods would be high and elevated. Actually, when the Babylonians uh, conquered the region and, and destroyed Jerusalem and took the Jews into captivity, they would, they would say, this is the work of their gods. And they're elevated. And here they are in captivity, seeing Baal elevated. They hear his name uh, mentioned among their kings, kings like Belshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar. Kings named after their gods are high and exalted and they perhaps are tempted to say, look, their gods are are victorious, whereas Yahweh, the God of of our forefathers, he seems low and, and forgotten. But it's into that that God speaks and he tells them what he's going to do with these gods. He says, as we read in verse one, that Baal and his son will bow down. They'll stoop. They're actually, as you read in verse one there, their idols are on beasts. Their their gods are carried by oxen. They have to be loaded up on beasts and they are born, meaning they're born with an E on the end. They're carried. They are burdens to be be carried about, these gods. And, And he goes on to say they can't save themselves. Actually, they're going to be taken into captivity as well. So these gods... These gods are actually 
only idols fashioned by men's hands. There's nothing more to it than the very materials used to make it. We've considered that over several different weeks as Isaiah is continuing to drill into the people because their struggle and even what, what caused them to be taken into captivity, to be judged and disciplined was idolatry. But that's not just a thing of the past. Still today, people have gods of their own choosing and making things that we fashion with our hands or with our lives or accomplishments that we think if we could only do this or if we could, we could accumulate something for ourselves, that will save us. That will give us identity and security. It's no different. That's what the people thousands of years ago thought these Babylonians and the Jews were tempted to say, yes, maybe we should trust your gods. Well, God will say he, he has purposes for them. He has purposes for them and his purpose will come to pass and even mentions in verse 11 that he's going to call someone who will be a bird of prey. We heard about this last week. God would call another pagan king, Cyrus of Persia. And, and, and in fact, Cyrus of Persia would sweep in like a, like a, a falcon or a, or a peregrine falcon diving down to attack its prey. Cyrus would come and he would sweep through the Babylonian empire and he would cart off Baal and Nebu. They would be carried away just as burdens on the back of beasts. They couldn't save themselves because they had, there was no being behind this idol. There was, there was no true God there at all. This is true of all man-made idols. All those things that we think can carry us and provide for us in the end, just like God describes here, those gods are impotent. They're powerless. They're inert. <laughs> they get placed somewhere and they just stay there. They can't move themselves. They can't act. They lack strength. They don't have any ability. You can read about that in verses six and seven. He says, those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver and scales, they hire a goldsmith. He makes it into a god. They fall down and worship it. They've had to carry the, the, the burden of gold in and then they, they fashion it and then they, they bow down to it. And then he says, then they lift it on their shoulders. They carry it, they set it in place and it stands there. It cannot move. It's stationary. It has no power. It has no ability to do anything for itself. It actually is only a burden to be carried about. That's true of all false gods. They must be acted on. They must be carried and placed. They're actually, in the end, unbeneficial burdens. They weigh us down. They saddle us, but they don't save us. A few weeks ago, when we looked at one of the passages about idolatry, a question came up in our peer group, and I found out later it came up in other peer groups as well. What about hobbies? You know, somebody says, there's this thing that I just really love, I love to, to um, do this, you know, I collect these things or I play this sport or I, I love to go out and do this. Is that an idol? Well, hobbies and interests, maybe we could even call them loves in our life. They're not inherently bad. But when we begin to find our identity in those things or when, when those whether it's things we accumulate or, or goals we've set maybe or, or things we want to accomplish or, or things that we, we collect for ourselves, when they begin to be the source of our hope or our identity or our comfort or our sense of security, then, then they're actually becoming a rival to God himself. Or if we think, you know, if I lose this, if, if this is taken from me, then I'm without hope. Then, 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 then how can I face the world? 
if I don't have this in my life, that actually has begun to compete with God or if those things keep you from fellowship with God. They keep you from from knowing communion with Christ, from from enjoying the very means of grace that Christ has given. If If they cut you off from God and his people, then those very things have become a stumbling block to you. And the thing that you think carries you has become a burden that you're carrying around. And that burden keeps you from God. Notice what God says he will do with all such idols, whether it was in Babylon or whether it's today in Tuscaloosa. Every idol, every rival to God eventually will stoop and bow down to him. He will make it stoop and bow down. The idols we form weigh us down. They weigh us down and they can't save us. But what we also find in Isaiah 46 is, is, is something radically different. And that is the God who formed us carries us from the womb to the tomb and beyond. Verse three, he says to the people, listen to me, listen to me. This is God's word of grace. Anytime God intervenes into the situation, as God speaks to people, even who are drawn toward idols who can't save them, idols that they carry about, that burden them down, God says, now listen to me, O house of Jacob. He'll say again later, listen to me, you transgressors, hear me. God speaks and, and, and by hearing and heeding God's voice, It's through that that we're delivered. It's through hearing God that actually we're delivered from the the soul-crushing burden of idolatry and rebellion against God. Paul says this in Romans 10 when he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is always through hearing God. So here he says to the people, listen to me now. And what does he say? Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who've been born by me from before birth, before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. Even though there's only a remnant of people who have faith, who trust God, God is relentless in keeping his promises. He is determined to carry his people. Instead of the idol being a burden to be carried, notice God actually bears his people. God is the one who does the carrying. In other words, we are the burden. We are the real burden and God is the one who does the heavy lifting. How long? How long is God say that he will carry his people? And we're we're looking back, yes, at a message for his covenant people in the Old Testament, but but we now as we we know that we are brought into the covenant family through the finished work of Christ even, not through types and shadows. We have even something even more secure. So how long will God carry us? He says, from before your birth, carried from the womb. And verse four, even to your old age, I am he. One of, the, one of the joys in covenant baptism as we baptize children, I think, is it beautifully pictures this. Vera didn't walk up here. She didn't carry herself. She was brought. 
She didn't baptize herself. This is God's action and it reminds us that it is God who carries us even from infancy. It is God who must bear us up throughout our lives. Now we rejoice in baptism at any time. As we heard earlier, it's, there's rejoicing in heaven for the one who is lost, who comes, into, comes to faith, who comes into the church, absolutely. But look at, the, look at the promise of God. I will carry you from the womb even to gray hairs. Now, if you are reading out of the King James Version, the King James Version says to whore hairs, H-O-A-R. That means grayish white. We don't use that word very often, but we do sing it. You sing that word in a favorite hymn, How Firm a Foundation. In that hymn, we sing these words, Fear not, I'm with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love And when hoary hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs they shall still in my bosom be born. Even when grayish white hair adorns people's temples or beards, maybe, God still bears us. He promises, I will carry you. I will never put you down. I will never let you down. Now, there is, as we've seen, a kind of spiritual amnesia, though, that God's people tend to have. We forget this. We'll forget it before we leave the room. We'll begin to become anxious or worried, like, but what's going to happen if? What about tomorrow? What about that interview I have? What about that test that's coming up? Or you name it. We quickly forget that there's a God who says, I am the one who's ready to carry you. So God says to us, Remember, look at verse five. He says, he he calls us to remember. That's actually verse eight. He says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. What is it that we need to remember? We need to remember that there is no God like our God. Back in verse five, he says, to whom will you liken me? Who will make, who's my equal? Who will you compare me to? God is not one of a variety of gods. He's not one of many. No, he is a one and only. There is no other like him. So he says, who are you going to compare me to? Who is a God who can save? Who's a God who delivered his people out of bondage in Egypt? Who's a God who parted the waters of a sea? Who's a God who raises the dead? There is no other. There is no other who can carry you. But in those moments when we forget, (laughs) we need God to say to us, remember, remember that there's none like me. Not only that, remember the former things. We, we, need to de- we need to look back on our history theologically. We often think about our, our past emotionally, or maybe even we, we think about it relationally, and we think about the people that we've loved and known, and we, we think about things in our life, but we need to remember it theologically. How has God cared for me? How has God provided for me? Look how far he's brought us. Look how he has sustained us. Look how he's provided for us. What makes us think that he's going to stop? That's what he's saying to his people. Remember that there's none like me. Remember my faithfulness in the past. 
Remember his determination. This is the essence of justifying faith. It's, it's not holding on to our own sense of safety and control and our abilities and our giftedness or our strength. It's actually faith is bowing to God, trusting his promises, trusting in his determination to bring his good purposes about in your life. That's faith. I trust God's purposes for me. God called his people then and he calls us now and he wants us to remember He wants us to remember and he wants us to repent and and keep turning back to him. Turning from those idols, those things that we imagine are carrying us, but actually that we carry about. And instead looking to God, the one who will bear us up. And then look at verse 12 and 13. He says, listen to me, you stubborn of heart. Does it ever amaze you that God keeps saying to his stubborn people who keep rejecting him, people who are going to wind up in exile, he says, listen to me. I know you've got a stubborn heart, so I'm going to be even more stubborn and keep saying, listen, I love you. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness. They're far away from the holiness of God. They're far away from obedience to God. They're, They're far away from God's righteousness. But he says, I bring my righteousness near. <laughs> it's not that he, he, he somehow reforms our righteousness. No, he brings his own righteousness near. This is what he promises. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. For people who are stubborn of heart and far from righteousness, God brings his righteousness to bear. He brings it very near, right up to us. He has come to us. He didn't only come toward us or to us, he actually took our place in order to bring salvation to you. Will you trust him? And I don't mean just trusting him at the start of your Christian life, but throughout. There's not a single moment in the lives of God's children that he does not carry us. Will you continue to trust him throughout? So a few closing questions. First, maybe you're asking, but do I really need God to carry me? Do I need him? We all long to feel and to be capable. We we all want to be capable. We want to feel confident in ourselves, even fearless. We we want to feel, feel fearless when we're around people or in a class or in a job or you name it. We want to feel capable. Well, when you feel strong, When you feel self-confident and self-assured, it may be one of the most dangerous times in your life. And I don't mean dangerous for your opponents, but dangerous for you. You may say, but isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we esteem to be and to feel? And if so, why would that be potentially harmful? Well, when we feel self-assured, we don't think that we need God to sustain us. We can be tempted to think that God is just an addendum. He's an appendix to the story of our lives in which we're the real heroes. Even even in our, our practice of religion, that is just simply one more accolade to add to our resume, to look at us. Sometimes the people who have the absolute hardest time seeing how large and powerful and glorious God is are the people who have the greatest gifts greatest abilities, 
the most strength and people who others admire and praise. They can begin to wonder, I'm not so sure I need God at all. And the toughest idol to recognize as being incapable of saving you and the most difficult idol to admit you are incapable of bearing is yourself. But you are finite and limited and you were broken by the fall. So yes, you need God to carry you. The second question is, but can God carry me? Maybe you're to the point where you realize that you can't save yourself. (laughs) Pastor, I know I can't save myself. In fact, maybe your circumstances have led you to believe that not even God can bear you up. There's too much dysfunction in my home. There's too many wounds in my past. There's too much debt or there's too much grief or trauma or illness or loneliness for anyone to hold me up. I want you to know that God's arms are more than strong enough to carry you. His compassion is broad enough and his hands are more than tender enough to care for a fragile soul and a vulnerable life like yours. Your wounds are not too great for the great physician and your loneliness is not too deep for the one who promises to never leave or forsake his own. He holds his lambs close. Several weeks ago, we heard from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God holds you close. The third question then is, but will God carry someone like me? Not only can he, but will he? Maybe you think God won't carry you because your sins are so immense. You may say, I recognize my pride before him. Would he carry me? Or maybe you've, been, you've had this cavalier disregard for the holiness of God and that you think that's more than anyone can bear. If you only knew the wickedness of my heart, surely God wouldn't carry someone like me. I want you to know that if you cry out to him in repentance and faith, then not only can he bear your sins, but I want you to know that he already has. Not only is he willing to bear your sins, but he already has. Nearly 2,000 years ago, he carried your sin in all its stench and stain and unbelief, and ingratitude, and brazen immorality, and apathetic disregard for your creator. He carried it all, your pride and your self-loathing, your self-induced failures, and your self-glorifying victories. He carried it all, and he carried it all the way up a hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. He carried it to a place that is known for suffering, and torment, and shame, and ridicule, and death. And not only did he carry it, not only did he carry it, but he bore it in his body as he hung on a cross. At any moment, he could have cast that burden aside, but he didn't. He wouldn't. He never discarded it or freed himself from it. He bore it on the cross until he breathed his last breath. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus loved you and was willing 
and able to bear the worst things about you, the guilt and the condemnation for your rebellion against God that earned the wage of death that he carried that debt for you, don't you know that he is able and willing and eager to bear your life now? So how do I do this? How do I do this? Cry out to him in humility. (laughs) Admit your need and see how near his righteousness is. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. His righteousness is near to those who are brokenhearted. (laughs) The ones who are crushed and humbled before him. He saves them. He's drawn to them. And then see the love and the grace of the righteous one. See the love of Jesus Christ who bore the absolutely worst things about us. He died for it. He welcomes you and he wants you to know him, to trust him with everything that you have. He wants you to open your hands and to let go of those idols and those worries and the fears and the regrets that you carry around with you. Even the ones that you cling to because you think they bear you up. They don't, they can't bear you up, but he can and he will surrender yourself to him, surrender those idols to him. And then cast your cares on him in prayer. As you have other, other things and worries and anxieties that you're, you're tempted to try to bury, cast them or bear, cast them on him. Don't run from the means of grace that he's given. Prayer, yes. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. Cast it on him. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He will sustain you. Thomas Watson, that great Puritan said, it is our work to cast care. It is God's work to bear it. (laughs) Your job is to cast your cares on God. It's his job to carry them. How often we think, no, it's my job. I have to carry it all. I have to bear the weight. I have to, no, our job is to cast it on him. He loves you and he promises to bear that. And then finally, you have to believe and you have to keep believing that he loves you. You have to keep believing that he will bear you and that he will take care of the outcome. And knowing that the one who loves you will bear you to the end, that he takes care of the outcome, then we can follow him boldly. Then we can, we can walk in the strength of his might Confidence in him. Look back at Isaiah 46, four. At the end of that verse, God said, I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. These are promises from God. I've made you and I will bear you. I will carry you and I will save you. From our formation to our salvation, throughout the time in between, we have God carrying bearing us up. Jesus redeemed you. He called you by his spirit, forming you as his own. He will carry you. He will finish what he began. He will carry you from beginning to end and beyond even into eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your promises to us. And I thank you that over and over in your word, you call us to remember because we are so prone to wander. Our minds are so quick to get caught up with 
the burdens and the weights that we bear, especially those things that we actually imagine to bear us up. If we worry enough about these things that somehow that will secure our our hope or our salvation, if I just worry about this class enough, somehow that will save me. Or if I worry about my kids enough, or if I worry about my job or whatever it may be, that we begin to think that if that our worry can somehow save us. Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to run to you. Help us to open our hands and see that, no, you are the God who carries and the God who bears us up. Lord, give us faith that rests in that. Lord, would you give us joy in knowing that and give us boldness to walk and live as followers of Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a friend of sinners, even us and that you bear, you bear our sins. You bore them on a cross. You died for us, and you've called us to yourself. Continue to help us to walk with our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Christ's name, amen.